Welcome to the podcast series Traveling Concepts on Air, hosted by myself, Tessa Dipporn, and Brianne McGonagall-Lai. We both work at Utrecht University. I am a legal scholar, and she is an anthropologist. And we're both part of the contesting governance research platform within the Institutions for Open Societies. In this podcast series, we want to critically question the promise and ideal of interdisciplinarity by focusing on traveling concepts. Traveling concepts refers to concepts that travel within and across disciplines. Do such concepts encourage and enhance interdisciplinarity? Or do they create confusion and perhaps even obstruct collaboration? These are some of the questions we want to discuss. All right. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to our holiday special of season three. So similar to last year, we have a very special episode for you. For our new listeners, a brief explanation. So at Utrecht University, we have various honors programs on offer for students. These are targeted towards students who are looking for an extra challenge in their studies. At the master's level, one of the programs is called the Graduate Honors Interdisciplinary Seminars, which is, again, an extracurricular program that's open for master's students across the entire university who are looking for an extra intellectual exchange. Exactly. And so this year we were invited again to organize one of these seminar series. And in addition to focusing on our own research and kind of how we came together and found each other in terms of policing and security, we particularly focused on this podcast series um, so that students will experience interdisciplinarity themselves through various forms of active learning. So after listening to two past episodes uh, and undergoing a pressure cooker, each pair of students from different disciplines selected an episode to discuss and then came up with their own concept to make an episode together. We were incredibly impressed by the amazing work of the students uh, and their ability to engage with interdisciplinarity. Yeah, and in total we had five different concepts and we basically selected two also based on the feedback from the students themselves to share with all of you. So the first concept is on the concept of behavior, which was made by Meha Sengupta, who studies clinical psychology at the Faculty of Social and Behavioral Sciences, and Ivo Vakaunik, who studies sustainable development at the Geosciences Faculty. Yes. And the second episode is made by two students from the more better field, namely Doris Buckman from the Applied Data Science Master's Program and Nayeli Liprani-Cortez, who studies climate physics. And together they discuss the concept of prediction. We really hope you enjoy this extra episode and we wish you all a happy and healthy new year. Stay tuned for some great new episodes and concepts to come. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special student edition of the Traveling Concepts on Air podcast. My name is Doris. And my name is Nadjeli. And today we're going to be talking about prediction. And we're going to be talking about what prediction looks like in both of our disciplines. Yeah, so I am doing my master's in climate physics. And I'm doing my master's in data science here at the University of Utrecht. Okay, so Doris, uh, what are predictions for you? What are predictions in data science? Good question. Um, So, yeah, prediction is a very essential part of data science. And we often use machine learning to do that. That is when we train a model on on a set of training data and we let it find patterns in the data. And when we have those patterns, we apply it to newer data and see how well could we predict that data. So what, using what we know about today, what is tomorrow going to be looking like? 
And one thing that I find very interesting about how this process of prediction works in data science is how little it's concerned with explanation. So when we study some sort of real-life phenomenon, we really want to know, we have two variables. How does variable X impact variable Y? Um, how much does it impact variable Y? And how does this process work? It's a very basic mechanism of science. But when we use machine learning to do predictions, the how is not really that important. Well, it can be, but for the the actual machine learning itself, not necessarily. There's no really inherent quality that the model can have other than how good the predictions are. So we fit this model, we train it, um, we use some test data to see how good the predictions are, how much they correspond to reality. We pick whatever is the best, and then we just go with it. Um, and as long as it predicts well, it doesn't necessarily matter much about how, you know, how much does this process of the model reflect real-life situation or what does the mechanism look like exactly. Of course, that can be very important, but it's not necessarily of primary concern for prediction in data science. Yeah, so that's a little bit about how that works. Um, and what does prediction look like for you in climate physics? Yeah, well... Um Climate physics, uh, if uh, you don't know yet, is a field dedicated to study climate phenomena. It can be in the atmosphere, in the oceans, uh, in the biosphere, and how they correlate. Uh, our main tools are mathematical models, and, and since these models can be very, very complex, we need to make use of computational tools that help us model climate. And actually, data science uh, has a big role in, in climate uh, sciences. Um, studying climate science um, has become particularly important in the past few decades uh, due to you know, climate change. And um, what climate scientists uh, do is that they use these models to predict the future changes in the climate system. Um, for example, uh, the rise in temperature or the sea level rise. Uh, we also try to model the future effects on societies. So, for example, the economical affectations, the affectations in production, in agricultural production, and also in other things like uh, public health um, issues. We took the data from past and current observations on certain phenomena, and with these models, we can make predictions for future scenarios. So in this discipline, uh, predictions are like trying to guess what the future will look like with the things that are happening today. And that's what predictions are in climate. Um, one thing that you mentioned and that I think is very, very interesting is that you say that predictions for data science are like a black box. Mm -hmm. Could you explain that a little bit more? Yes, of course. So the black box is a way of seeing how a process works in real life. We have two variables. It goes into this hypothetical black box. Something happens to it and another variable comes out a certain way. So for instance, the input, the price of a product can lead to a change in the demand of the product, for instance. And what we really want to know is, well, what, what's in this box? How does this process work? How big is the effect size? So that variable X goes in and variable Y comes out a certain way. And what's interesting about data science or one approach to data science is where we sort of forget about what's in that box. It's not really that important for prediction. We just take whatever 
you know, we've, we train our, our different box a certain way so that it mimics the real life box. And whatever comes out, if it's very close to what comes out in real life, it's a great model. It doesn't necessarily mean, or it's not necessarily important that this reflects reality really well, but we just take whatever works best and we run with it. So I, that's what I find, you know, we see a lot of similarities, I think, in prediction in our two fields. But that's what I think is a really interesting difference, is I think for your discipline, the how maybe is much more important often. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, uh, I think that is a huge difference between predictions in our fields because in climate science, it really matters uh, the model and what you take into account. So when we are trying to model the future, uh, it is really important that we put uh, very accurate data and that this uh, data can reflect what the future will look like. Uh, so it's really important to know what are you taking into account because, uh, for example, uh, when you have um, a bias estimation, you need to know why. And you also need to be able to explain what uh, is um, the outcome and why does it look like that. So the model is really important, the data is really important, and we need really need to know what is happening in order to understand what will happen in the future. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you also mentioned um, that uh, you didn't really care about the different types of models that you were using. Like, uh, as I understand, there is also not a universal agreement about what the perfect model could be in data science, right? No. And again, I think this is an interesting similarity between our, our disciplines. For And it looks a little bit different, but... As you mentioned, there's not, for every, every situation is different. There's not a perfect model that comes falling out of the air that we could always use, and it's always perfectly justifiable. Um, we always have to tune and fit a little bit to just see, you know, what if, what if we do this to the model? The prediction might be a little bit different. And then again, what an interesting difference is then is I think how we make those choices about what to include in the model. In data science, it's much more again, focused on just the accuracy. If we change this, how does, you know, does the, is the prediction outcome better? Whereas I think maybe in your field, we reason much more from real life phenomena. Do you, do you agree with that assessment? Yes, I think that's a huge similarity in, between both disciplines because we don't also have the model of the climate. It really depends uh, what are you trying to explain. So, for example, when you're trying to model, um, let's say, the Mediterranean, the Mediterranean Sea, and also trying to model um, the Pacific Ocean, you really need to take into account very different things because you're working on different scales. One is an ocean and the other one is a sea, but also there are different conditions on temperature and salinity. The biosphere might also be different. Um, and it also matters, matters what you want to obtain. So it really, really depends on uh, what you want to do with the model. And also I think it all depends on 
uh, the expertise of the science of the scientists because mm-hmm. uh, some scientists already know like what or had like this feeling of what mm-hmm. is going to happen and what will the outcome be and that's is also a thing to take into account. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, we we also play with the models. We don't have like the the model. No. Okay, well, I see that we're already running out of time. Yes, <laughs> this is short, short but sweet, and there's much to think about. I think um, from this, a lot of similarities, a lot of dissimilarities. I think, and I hope so. that you all enjoy this very short but uh, hopefully interesting edition of the student edition of the uh, traveling concepts podcast and then we're going to have to say goodbye yeah goodbye everyone and we hope to see you next time hi everyone and welcome to this session of traveling concepts traveling concepts is essentially a term to show that different concepts travel through different different disciplines. I myself am Ivo, I'm currently a master's student in sustainable development and on the other side uh, of the screen I'm right now talking to Meha and maybe you could introduce yourself a little bit. Yeah, um, so hi, I'm Meha, I'm a, a master's student in clinical psychology and our traveling concept that we want to talk about today is the concept of behavior. I'll just start off by talking a little bit about what behavior means to me as a clinical psychologist. So behavior is kind of integral to psychology as I see it. Um, We see it as both a response that a person has to their internal thoughts and their emotions, but you can also see it as a response to the external environment. So that can include other people and other people's thoughts, their emotions and their behaviors and quite fundamental to I guess clinical psychology as opposed to psychology in general is that we take behavior to indicate whether someone is acting normally abnormally when to draw the line and say that engaging in a behavior too much or too little is worthy of a clinical diagnosis. So Evo if I turn to you what does behavior mean to you? Uh, thank you very much, Meha, for this uh, short introduction of behavior. Um, to me, I mean, to this, let's say to the field of sustainable development, um, when we talk about behavior, we talk always about, we always talk about systems, complex systems, you know, quantities, a lot of physics. And for us, behavior is usually um, a term where we have individual agents, which could be just people like you and me um, that behave in a certain way in a system. Easiest example is how we as people, for example, how we behave, how we consume, how we consume energy, what kind of effect does this have on the environment, on greenhouse gas emissions, these kind of things. So for us, people's behaviors is always embedded within systems and we take average values. So we take a big bunch of individual agents and we just try to quantify what kind of effect their behavior has on the environment. Of course, it's a very big, uh, big picture and a little bit of a different definition that you have. And, you know, Meha, what's also, what would be quite interesting to explore is the topic of systems is in psychology. In psychology, how do people talk about systems and their connections to behavior? Like, how do you do it in psychology? Right. So I don't think we ever really use the word system per se, but we would say that the environment is kind of the system. 
and there's obviously like the nature nurture debates about how someone behaves if it is abnormal even if it is a normal behavior then is it because of nature as in their inherent gene and their biology that is why someone behaves in a certain way they do or is it because of nurture and nurture has a lot to do with the system and their environment i would say it how important caregivers in their life so their parents or other important figures during their developmental phase how they have behaved what effect this has had on them and this could be like modeled behavior so the the child learned something directly and like repeats that kind of behavior or it could also be like a reaction to something so if not sure if it's a parent for example isn't there that often then maybe there's like a, a fear of abandonment and that also shows itself in different kinds of behaviors. So that I would say is kind of the system approach. It's more of an environment approach, I would say, in psychology. So when you talk about the system perspective that you have and how it looks at behavior, I was wondering if this behavior that you look at through the systems, do you think of it as static or does your field think of it as static behavior? Do you use the system to kind of see how you could change behavior how does that look like? Um, I hope, of course, that uh, at least my field sees behavior as changeable and not static, because I mean, otherwise I wouldn't do it. Um, mm -hmm. But the thing is, I just remember when we had the systems dynamics course, and then I saw, you know, I was sitting in front of a PC, and there were all these uh, simulations, you know, just it was just simulating behavior of people in a system, and then you saw some patterns emerging, which is, of course, quite interesting to see, and then. You could fidget around with some numbers, you know, a little bit. You can increase their likeliness to buy a certain product a little bit. You can increase or decrease their carbon carbon emissions a little bit. And what you saw by just fidgeting around with some parameters a little bit, you saw that the whole system was changing quite profoundly. So at the end of the day, which is something I found quite amazing, is that when you have a lot of individuals, individual agents in a big system, a small and a slight change in the behavior has huge effects on the whole system. It has detrimental effects on the whole system, and mm -hmm. it just changes completely how it looks like. And that's something I always wondering if uh, that's also something that you have in psychology, like whether a small change in a person's behavior can have big uh, can have a big uh, effect on it. I would say from a therapy perspective, there is definitely this notion, um, especially with certain treatments. For example, if you are treating someone who has depression and there is called behavioral activation, and the entire point is to make small changes in someone's day-to-day -day routine. So it might seem quite silly to someone who's not in that position, but it could be the difference between, say, scheduling into someone's agenda for Monday to Friday, that in between their workday, they go outside and they take a walk or they call a friend. It's a very, very small thing, but it's the idea that you increase in small increments things that bring a person energy, things that makes the person happy instead of things that the person has to do to survive. And yeah, this is quite a, an effective uh, intervention. So in that sense, there is this notion that a small change can have, it can lead to quite a big difference. But on the other hand, when I think about this, I also think that sometimes 
there are some external uh, things that are missing when we as clinical psychologists look at problems with individuals. Some things that are happening in the world, let's say, for example, right now, there's a lot of inflation that's going on. There's a lot of insecurity because of the, the housing shortage and climate change. These are all things that have an effect on people, but they're not really considered into the individual's problems or their symptoms. And that's where I would say that the, the big aspect isn't considered and the small things are really focused on. So I was wondering how that looks like for you in sustainable development. Unfortunately, also, I think as bleak in a way, because uh, again, just coming back to the initial example, we just always talk about the effects of individual agents' behavior. I just keep saying about agents because it's just the expression, expression we use. Mm -hmm. But we always uh, talk about how an agent influences the environment. But quite interestingly, we never really discuss the effect that the environment has on the agents themselves, on their behavior, which is, I mean, also quite a research gap or quite a knowledge gap in my view, because I think you cannot, you know, just separate those two entities. And I think this is quite, quite interestingly, is just also that maybe there's also a gap that, that both have in a way that is just not discussed sufficiently, you know, what kind of effect just the, the environment has on the behavior of the individual, which is, of course, very crucial to understand behavior, not only, you know, just short term, but also long term. Right. Do you think your field sees this as a limitation or is it something that there's like attention for? Because I know that in my case, it's quite easy for uh, a clinical psychologist or just to say that, oh, but we focus on the individual, you know, sociology is there to look at the group. Um, effects and what happens like in society so that's not really our forte so we will just leave it out no I, I see that's it's actually not a good thing it would make everything more complex um, but just because it's complex we shouldn't do it um, because at the end of the day let's be honest um, how the environment is shaped and I'm not just talking about the average temperature but I'm also talking about how cities look like how societies look like how political systems look like, all of these things have huge effects on agents' behavior. And the mm -hmm. fact that this is not included in models is, in my view, a big gap. I would, I would agree with that quite a lot. How society progresses, the relationships we have with our families, how they're changing because yeah. we're now living in cities. We're less in contact with people than how much in contact we were before but on the other hand we're also really connected because of social networking and the internet like that has a big role to play on the individual and that's not considered that often to conclude we talked a lot about behavior how different disciplines talk about behavior but i think we also found some common ground right Mia? yeah i think so too i think our common ground was just that we need to include a little bit more of the bigger picture when we look at our system and how they look at behavior. Thanks for joining us for this session of Traveling Concepts on Air. For more information, please visit Utrecht University's Contesting Governance Platform website. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, email us at contestinggovernance at uu.nl. Please subscribe and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook 
And more importantly, spread the word with your colleagues and friends. Till next time.